Hello and welcome to our podcast Untangled, all things parenting and childcare development related and everything in between. So today what we're going to do is we want to have a chat about some of the questions and not really concerns, but just little things that, that people have emailed in or sent us a message on. And I've got the lovely Emma with me today. Again. Hello, everyone. <laughs> so Emma and I are just going to give uh, some feedback on these. And as always, you can accept or reject. It's only a perspective. It's not our job to say the right way or the wrong way to do things. Um, but our first message that came in from uh, a parent, it's they wanted to know what the benefits of social learning are. So um, for mums that do choose to use a daycare facility as opposed to maybe childcare at home or a family member or a childminder, um, what the benefits of, of that are. And I think even for people who, who choose to be at home or, or just use a family member, they still they still acknowledge that it's good for the children to be in a social yeah, situation yeah, at some point. Yeah. I know, Emma, your child, your childcare is you because yes, you work at yes, home. Yes, I work around home. Yeah. Um, and I think with us at, at Kitty Winkles, we do have some children who are just coming in for maybe a half mm-hmm. morning or mm-hmm. maybe just one day every few weeks for that social benefit. Um, and with social learning, if it's done correctly, okay, so for brain development for children, what they need is as many different experiences as possible, but they also need consistent caring experiences. Yes. OK, so I would say in in group settings, it's really essential that it's done properly, that there's a real mm-hmm. connection with the children. Mm-hmm. And and if you have that, then it then I think it is very beneficial because when children are in a group of their peers or they're having to get to know new adults, it's building their cognitive flexibility. Mm-hmm. So that's where if you're doing one thing, like say I'm building my jigsaw and then somebody else comes over and they want to help build my jigsaw. But there's there's an opportunity I have to either to be flexible and change how I play with the jigsaw and incorporate them or to walk away and go, no, that's not what I was doing and it's you've spoiled it and you've ruined it and mm-hmm. and now I can't play with the jigsaw. Mm-hmm. So it creates these opportunities for children to practice skills, practice skills on um, resilience and self-regulation. So if you're in a group of people and especially with rules, Kids are really, that'll be the thing that that flips kids the easiest is if you're playing a game and you have a particular set of rules in your head, but someone else has a different set of rules or they don't play by the rules and they just willy nilly put things where they're not supposed to go. You can see that internal frustration build in children. And so what we look at is um, self-regulation. So what what are children doing to... um, calm themselves in that situation. And that's really, really important skill for children to learn when they get to school because they have to coexist with all these other people. And if you lose it every time something doesn't sit exactly right, you are going to lose out on a lot of learning opportunities in school. So we look for um, supporting children in in self-regulating. So you'll see them take a 
a big breath and have a think or you'll see them go and play with something else and then come back or you'll see their body language shift um, or you'll see them doing something to self-soothe. So that might either be fiddling with their hair or putting their thumb in their mouth while they have a think how they're going to respond to this. Mm-hmm. Um, so those opportunities of that social learning to to work on that self-regulation is really, really important. So um, the easiest way to think of self-regulation is is them talking themselves out of a tantrum. OK, so that's something that they're that they're naturally inclined to want to work on between the ages of two and five. They want oh, to right. they want to figure out ways yeah. of yeah. actually not yeah. having the tantrum because yeah. very few children choose to do a tantrum. It's 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 just a response to all the thoughts and feelings that they have that's going on that they don't know what to do with Absolutely. other than let it burst Sheer out. Sheer frustration. Yeah. And then cortisol's moving through and yeah. they feel the stress hormones and they're yeah. like, what the heck do you yeah. do with this? I'm just going to scream. So or their move initial my... reaction is to just, it's it's nearly like feelings of uh, anger nearly, you know, yeah. in themselves. And it's, it's the only way to get it out is to just squeal mm-hmm. and to just have that. And that's normal. That's normal. Dude, but I'm, then... I'm really glad to hear that, Jill, because <laughs> sometimes you question your abilities. <laughs> no, that's a normal way for uh, young children to cope with that. But okay. then what what they do is they find they find ways to regulate, and you can you can support that and help them find techniques and tools. Um, but the more opportunities they have of practicing self regulation, yes. the better that is. And you're going to do that in a group of other peers who are um, only really concerned about themselves. They're mm-hmm. still working on empathy. They're still working on um, seeing other people as mm-hmm. as important as them. So to to have those opportunities to test that is really, really useful for mm-hmm. a child's development. And then you bring in um, peer learning. So when when you have a social situation with learning, children will find this the group and the level that meets their needs the best. Yeah. So all children have a level that they learn at and they have different areas that they're interested in at any one time. So we would call that a schema of play. So some children might be very focused on physical development and you'll see them doing a lot of um, roughhouse play or very physical movement where they're working on the um, vestibular senses, you know, of, of if I run very fast, can I get round this and under this and over that and where their body is in relation to space. And some children, they might focus more on language at a certain stage in their development and they want to be with people who like singing and doing stories and doing a lot of role play so that they can extend their language. Uh, some children might be in a place in their development where they're very focused on fine manipulative skills. Yeah. So whatever their scheme of play is, the children will be able to, in a social group, find other peers who match that yeah. and who match their developmental yes. level. Yeah. Um, whereas then if you only have access to an adult, you're nearly always influenced by where the adult wants you to be developmentally or where they think you should be yes. because it's it's mm-hmm. it becomes more adult led than adult facilitated. Yeah. 
And I suppose that's the difference. Um, so I think having access to that social learning when it is high quality is is really good. But it it doesn't have to be all the time. Yeah. So in your situation, I know you do try to find places where you have access to other children. Absolutely. Um, you know, I'm very lucky because, you know, I see the likes of, of the sheer start, you know, being an outreach for mummies who maybe like myself are maybe full-time mummies and, you know, are work from home mummies or working around a business and they have two or three hours a week where they can dedicate that time to bring their children out into that type of environment where they're around other children. And to me, that is priority. That is really, mm -hmm. really important because when I find that Annie Mae is out, you know, among other children, although she isn't all of the time, but when she is, she's got a good level of understanding of how to be around other children. Um, you know, she, she, she's gone through the stage at the minute where she's telling everyone to share, but the <laughs> concept of it isn't yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. So she's she's constantly telling me, mommy, share. But share with me. But share with me. <laughs> yes. And um, the share thing isn't really, isn't what she sees it as. Mm -hmm. So it's it's, Implementing that type of, of role play with her in the house, it, it shows when she is out then in an environment around other children. And I feel that's really important is that you're teaching them to a certain extent. Social skills. Social skills. And you know, that's really interesting. Um, we heard <laughs> some professors talk about um, educating children for the future and how we are in this age of information, like literally in your pocket, your phone, you have access to whatever information yeah, you would yeah. ever need. Mm -hmm. So that these CEOs and huge companies um, are saying, look, that's that's not so important to us, what you can rope learn and what information you can remember, because we're going to have technology mm -hmm. that that does that. Um, these big companies, they're interested now in skills that AI, artificial intelligence, can't replicate. And that is creativity, social and emotional skills and um, integrity. Those are things that AI can't replicate. And those are the skills that are going to set people aside in the future. So um, and it's actually there's there's a body of evidence that says uh, the the essential skills to be as a successful adult aren't actually your academic qualifications, mm -hmm. but it's more important that you have empathy or that you're social or that you're able to self-regulate so that you can have um, strong relationships, healthy relationships with people. Uh, because a successful adult in, in research isn't seen as how much you earn, but how you sit within the Absolutely. your world yes. and your environment yeah. Yeah. Um, and how content you are and how um, that you have healthy relationships and you don't have to depend on outside stimulants to exist and, and be happy. So um, those type of skills that we are bringing up and those values that we're bringing up with children, being social and working out how to exist in this group of people, that's really, really important. Really important. Yeah. I, I tend to look at Annie Mae and she's, I call her a wee socialite because she can walk into a crowd of people and just 
I'm here. Yeah, but aren't toddlers <laughs> amazing at doing that? That's what I toddlers love about it. Like, it's like, here I am. Yeah, and when, when do they lose that? That's what I said a few weeks ago to Fergal. I never want her to lose that. Mm. And to me, that's a really, because there is some children who walk into an environment and they, they cower in, they, mm. they come into themselves and they don't express themselves the way that they, they can as a child. And I feel that whenever a child can walk into a room and say, I'm here, you know, mm. I want to play and they're open. And to me, that's a really, really important thing that I would like to help her carry on through yeah. the rest of her life. I think that's awesome. Okay, well, um, I hope that helps answer that question for that mum that had sent us a message. Our next one is actually on on something that I had to do a little bit of research on. And I was a parent who had some concerns. Their uh, little one was stuttering, not all the time, but it would come and go, the stammer. And um, they had some work with a speech therapist I'm not sure if it was related to the stammer or if it was related to something else. And she just wanted some advice on that. So I am a member of the Middlestar Toastmasters. They meet the first and third Tuesday of every month in Cookstown. And there's just this most inspirational lady uh, there. And she's called Megan. And she has lived with a stammer for most of her life. But she is currently on the Maguire programme Um which is a support group for people with um, stammers. And she is pushing herself out of her comfort zone Mm -hmm. all the time. She's just an inspiration. And she now gets up and gives speeches and she does talks and oh, she's so good. So I thought she would be the perfect person to ask because she has lived it uh, as a child and um, she knows much more about the effect and impact and what helps and what aggravates uh, a stammer. So I talked to her. Now, her advice was that you just ignore it. Okay. So whether um, there's a period where they're not stammering or they are stammering, you you don't name that. You don't go, oh, you've started to stammer. You just you ignore it. Okay. And you wait patiently for the child to finish. So you don't say, you don't tell them to calm down. Don't tell them to take a breath. You ignore the fact that they're stammering. That creates a space because you haven't labelled it. Um, and you and you wait. So it's very tempting as an adult to finish. to try and finish the sentence yeah. or yeah. to to find the answer to what they're saying before they get it out. And I do that sometimes because I'm moving, my mind moves at a fast pace and I'm always trying to go, okay, if I guess what you're going to say, then I can move on to the next thing. So I have to remind myself not to do that. Um, So her advice was don't, don't do that. Just as long as it, you need to wait, just wait for them to finish it. Don't name it. But also that you can do things to help support them, but without naming that those things are supporting the stammer. So she suggested getting them to talk as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe at bedtime you've read a story, you get them to tell you a story that they've made up if they're not able to read themselves. If they are able to read, create a really safe space that they have as much time as they need to read. Yeah. But just 
practice, practice, practice of them saying words out loud, but without you attaching that activity to the stammer. Uh, another thing that she suggested was um, working on breathing just as an activity. Again, not labeling it as connected to the breathing, mm-hmm. because in the Maguire program, um, that's what they do. It's all breath control. Mm-hmm. So um, doing some breathing exercises in the morning or before we go to bed. One example is where you could breathe in for the count of four. Hold for four, breathe out for the count of four, hold for four again, because um, that's a that's a big part of the Maguire program is using breath control to control the stammer. So if you can bring in that breath control before you're even labeling it uh, or anything as a stammer, it can help them self-regulate it and work out a pattern themselves because um, I think what Megan was sharing with me is that it there's a good chance it'll go on its own mm-hmm. if you don't feed the label of stammer Absolutely. and you don't create any focus on it by saying things like oh just calm down or take your time literally give it no feedback yeah, at all It's to a certain extent it's you have control over it and it's not controlling you. Yeah, yeah. And it's not letting the term stammer, you know, control the the way in which you're talking, the way in which you're mm-hmm. speaking, the way in which you're... It, you have complete control over it and that's given it sort of a bit of leeway and you know that, that you're in control and the stammer's not. Yeah. And I mean, Megan shared with us that that for years and years she would have always went somewhere with another person who would have been able to talk on her behalf mm-hmm. um, and that that just became the norm. Yes, yeah. Um, But what she does now is she faces that fear and she makes sure that, that she takes the opportunity to talk to for talk, herself yeah. and that that's something that we can instill in the children Um, so that when it's still fluid and it's still moving between stammer and non-stammer, that they are building their confidence in their own voice Absolutely. and hearing themselves um, and taking ownership of that. So, um, again, it's not it's not something that I've read a lot of research on, but I that's why I went to Megan. But I think that is a, it's a really interesting source. And um, I know that the Maguire program itself doesn't really accept children until they're well into secondary school because it's it's a really intense program but there are all those other things that we can do and work with with the younger children yeah. such um, a great resource to have it's yeah uh, she's she's just remarkable if you're on Facebook you can check out um, the Toastmasters Facebook page and you'll see um, we keep track of all the amazing things that Megan's doing and all the speeches that Brilliant. she does, you'll be able to follow her there. She, she's just so inspirational. She's fantastic. Um, the next question that we had, actually, I was thinking of you, Emma, because we have talked about this one. OK. Um, <clears throat> toilet training. Well, oh. <laughs> <I'd>, <laughs> you know how to do it. I know you know how to do it. Um, but well, actually, I don't like calling it toilet training because that feels like the adult is controlling the child. So I call it toilet and skills. 
um, because it feels a bit like that feels more that it's a shared Absolutely. learning yeah. rather than a, and a controlled instruction. I love that. Um, whenever I asked Jill about this a few weeks ago and we, we would send WhatsApp voice messages and it, there was one of the days where I said, you know, I really want to think about starting to, to potty train. And I, I've kept the voice message and I actually wrote everything down that she said, which I do on a regular <laughs> basis. And I changed my language now when, when I talk about it. And the, the term potty training felt very robotic mm-hmm. and it felt that we had to carry it out in a certain way at a certain time. And it's made me feel very relaxed about it. Mm-hmm. And I would love you to share the language in which you used to tell me. Um, and it really, it really gave me that insight into w- we have no control over them. They will know when they are ready mm-hmm. and they will be ready. And I can see now she's starting to tell me about the other children that she's seeing sitting on the toilet and she's saying, Mommy, I want to. And it's I'm finding that the more relaxed I am about it, yeah. the more I'm actually looking forward to doing it. Because I think sometimes uh, we as parents set ourselves up to, to fail because we decide tomorrow I will do potty training. Yeah. Um, and we see it as a thing that we have to either succeed or fail at. And that's not the case. It's actually nothing to do with us. This is a skill that your child will learn and you are just the facilitator of this skill. So we find out through observation and conversations and chatting when the child is ready to own this skill and really bring it home. And then we are going to find a way to support them in doing and nailing this skill. But it's not something we we have to feel that we did it or didn't do it. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, so I think with uh, toilet and skills, it, it is that, first of all, let go of anything that is going to make you feel guilty if it doesn't work out how you pre-plan it in your head. You are just a facilitator. You are just someone who is helping this wonderful little person gain a skill, yes. gain another skill. And and how you do that is, is fine. That will be you pick that up from from the child's own personality. Some children are very, very private and will want to use the toilet straight away. Um, with us, they liked the potty. They were very open and and for the first few days were naked from the waist down just for handiness sake. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't suit everyone's home. It doesn't suit every child. They're not comfortable with that. But really what you're trying to do in the first instant is 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 catch it in the place where you want it to be. OK, <laughs> through chance. And then you go all out crazy. Yeah. This is amazing. How do you feel? Are you Please. really proud? Yeah. Yeah. I'm really proud. Yeah. I think this is wonderful. And you talk about the pants and you talk about, you know, that 
that's like the sort of pants that mommy and daddy wear and we go to the toilet and you normalise it and you create um, you'll never talk about your bodily functions as much as when you are sharing yes, toilet and yes. skills with a child. Everything needs to become normal. Yes. Every, all your language is normal. Yeah. yeah. And, you, and you talk yeah, about wiping and you talk yeah. about washing yes. hands and you yes. talk about all of those. And books and DVDs are really a really good way of normalising that bef- long before you even start to process or long before they indicate that it, we're ready to start okay. the process. Um, and then you just you go at their pace. And and sometimes that means that they will be using their toileting skills during the day, but still rely on the regular old methods at night or during sleep. And sometimes they're ready just to go whole heartedly into the whole thing. Yes. Forget about it. Yeah. Let's get rid of the nappy. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes we struggle with it when it's not working out and we and we hold on because we think, oh, I've started now. I can't backpedal. It's it's perfectly okay if you read the signs and you and your child decide to work on toileting skills and then actually decide no, I'm going to we're going to take a break from this for a bit. Um, there's nothing to be gained by by flogging it and keeping going when it's not something they're interested in. Yeah, and they don't feel ready. They're not ready. So, yeah, and that's exactly, that's a prime example of, of where I'm at because a few weeks ago we tried it mm-hmm. and she told me, Mummy, I'm not ready. Mm-hmm. I'm not ready to do PP. Yeah. And I completely respected that and I says, we're not ready. If you're not ready, I'm not ready. And now I'm seeing the build up to it now because she's starting to recognize all of the other children Mm -hmm. older doing it. And to me, that makes it easier if she's watching and she sees people doing it and sees, you know, other kids doing it when when she's at Sure Start events or whatever. And that to me is making it easier. Yeah. Because she's using the visual. Yeah. And it's like it's the same for us they're little people mm-hmm. it is the same for us when we're learning a new skill Absolutely. so if we if I decided um, if I decided mm-hmm. that I wanted to learn how to ride a motorcycle mm-hmm. well I would have I would go from having no awareness of motorcycles till all of a sudden starting to notice them on the road and start to notice oh there's ones that you can sit upright in there's mm-hmm. ones that you can lean forward in and then you might want to have a sit on one and then you might do nothing for a month or two months and then you might start to take lessons. And yeah. it's it's the same. We're testing the ground, seeing Absolutely. how we feel. Nobody wants to commit fully to a skill unless they they feel that they are, are able to get it. Yeah. And that can be the same with with children that um, they're just testing the ground. And sometimes that means we do it for a little bit and then we step back and then we go again. Yeah. But let me tell you, it always it always comes. But parents, please don't stress about what yeah, age your child <laughs> picks up those toileting skills because they will always come. Yeah. It's, fine. Yeah, it's fine. Nobody's walking down their, you know, the aisle to their wedding with a set of pampers in the back just in case <laughs> they have an accident. They figure it out and it, and it's OK. And it, it doesn't make you. Here's the other thing. It doesn't make you a good parent if they get toileting skills early. It doesn't make you a bad parent if they they pick up their toileting skills late. It's actually nothing to do with you. 
It's to do with the child and what their interests are and where they want to focus their energy on. And for some children, they choose to focus on that earlier than others. But it doesn't mean that they are better than any other one, than a child that doesn't. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think parents need to feel okay with that, that it's not a it's not a it's not a stamp that someone's going to put on your Parent that. and career. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Because I think, again, it's the pressures of feeling that you are getting them trained at a certain age. Yeah, that's the word trained is what makes it that adds the element of judge. Yes. Judgment into it because it's have you trained them correctly? Yes. yes. Either yes or no. Yeah. Whereas that's not what it's about. It's not, no. Yeah. So if we take nothing else away from it, can we take away that it's a facilitation mm-hmm. of a skill mm-hmm. rather than Absolutely. than a training? Absolutely. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. Love it. That's great. That's that's all we had for today. That's all we had for the list. If you are listening and you have um, any questions or scenarios that you would uh, like us to talk about yes. on our next podcast, <laughs> we will you, do can, <laughs> you can PM to the Kitty Winkles Facebook page or Instagram or Snapchat and it'll find its way to me. And then I can share it with whoever's on our panel because it's always good to hear more than just me. Um, Again, if you are still listening, we are very grateful. Thank you for um, allowing us into your time and into your life. And we are very grateful for that. And we will see you next time. Thank you so much. Okay.